Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 56, Heather Bailey, or Bailey, as she is known by some of her friends. Um, my name is Curtis Payne, and I'm the host of this podcast, Tantric Conversation, the Kama Sutra of podcasts, whatever that means. Uh, it's uh, uh, Heather. Heather, this is one of those podcasts that I hope they all can be. That I sat down with somebody, um, you know, knowing that I always thought that she was cool. I always thought she seemed like a lovely person. And then I started noticing on Facebook that she's doing aerial acrobatics with ribbons and stuff. And uh, I thought, well, that, that whole Dogtown dance scene, all the things that are going on over there. I know nothing about that. I don't know anything about dance. Aside from having had Kathleen Brady on here a while ago, I really haven't touched on that a lot. Um, And it was really cool to sit down with her and get into this conversation and find out sort of the arc of how she got to doing what she's doing now and to really relate to it, too. Um, Sorry, I just had to knock my cat off the desk because she's about to spill a bunch of shit um and you know just get a lot of uh insight about other things from hearing her story and talking to her about what she does and it's you know it's that's the ideal and uh and depending on various states of my attentiveness and my ability to listen and my ability to really engage with the guest um different things happen but i really really enjoy this and got a lot out of it um still oh and you know we talk about john bryan in that and john bryan has come up a bunch of times in a bunch of different podcasts and he is i hope i'm not jinxing it uh scheduled to come over here tomorrow at six o'clock and we are finally gonna have him on and it'll be my the third of my former uh soccer coach soccer team parents from when i was at lad of 20 years old and coaching bitty soccer at William Fox, Carol Pearsall, Paul Pasquale, John Bryan uh, were three of the parents that I actually talked to fairly often. can't remember who any of the other ones were right now. Um, but yeah, he's coming over tomorrow and I'm going to find out about what he's been doing since I last saw him 20 years ago, 24 years ago, and uh, looking forward to that. It's a uh, yeah. So, and this is, I guess, you know, he's been involved in what I am aware of is, is uh, culture works, and that seems to be a very, very positive thing in this town, and we just can't get enough positive things in this town. Yeah, there are a lot of things to be mad about, and there's a lot of infuriating, obnoxious, self serving political and um, capitalist bullshit going on in this town, but there are some awesome people that are working to make this a better place and uh, you know the idea is to get as many of them on this show as I possibly can and keep celebrating that thing because it's you know it's all of the individuals that moved into the Churchill at different times that made this a place that I'm really grateful to have grown up so much diversity you know so I mean people try to make this shit so much about black and white and there's a shit ton of diversity amongst black people and white people there's a shit ton of economic diversity there's a shit ton of educational diversity there's a shit ton of experiential 
diversity. And you know, for my part, coming up, I had a, I got exposed to a lot of that. It was a, there was no one type of family, and I, even amongst those of us with similar complexions, everybody's family was from somewhere else. And I really, really feel grateful that that's what R- Richmond is to me is this place with a really saturation of uh, heterogeneous types of people even though that is not what it's known for the city is like that and this neighborhood is like that and i think i'm sick and tired of hearing this crap about gentrification what is gentrification like is it when white people move into a neighborhood is it when people with more money because there are a lot of people in this neighborhood that have money that aren't white you know and and it's not a problem because if the streets are going to get fixed if if shit is going to get landscaped if the schools are going to be funded we need people with money to move into the city. And we need it because we need the tax base, but we also need it because we need diversity. Diversity does not just mean a bunch of people with different kinds of complexions. It means people with a lot of different gifts and skills and talents and contributions to bring to make this a cool city. And um, yeah, that's, that's how I'm seeing it. You know, I, I understand why people get upset and I understand why the majority of the arguments are appeals to emotion. But again, over and over again, I can just say, build the fucking thing that you want to be here. Get together with some people, get strong, form a gang, form like Voltron, make it happen. That's what the bad guys are doing. <laughs> they're getting their boys together and they're powerful. Well, we, you know, people of opposing viewpoints can do the same thing. So let's do that, okay? All right. Enough preaching, brother Curtis. Heather. What is it? Heather Bailey? Mm-hmm. That's right. Cleo used to just call you Bailey. Bailey. Yeah. That was my stage name. Bailey a go-go. Bailey a go-go. I was just talking about the uh, date. It was Daisy Lay's Cabaret. Cabaret. Yeah. Were you already a dance um, student or something? Were you theater. into You were a theater? Theater. I did film and television in Virginia Beach area. And I worked as a casting agent there, and then I wanted to learn how to do more acting work. So I, I uh, started going to school at Richmond. Um, U of R or Richmond? No, or VCU. VCU. Yeah, for theater. Right. Mm-hmm. At what, what years was it that you were in theater school there? Um, we... I was an adult <laughs> learner, so I went part-time. Uh-huh. I went off and on for about six years. Um, how did you like the theater department at VCU? It was okay. Um, the things, um, I felt like I learned how to like it more in my last few years. I studied abroad in Romania mm-hmm. in theater, which was really cool, and saw a lot of political theater and theater that is... Um, I saw a three-hour production of Othello with one word in it, <laughs> done by a Russian company that I could not look away from. And I just... I think it centered me more. So having the college experience and being able to study abroad and do things like that, I saw that I really didn't want to do night after night verbal Shakespeare, mm-hmm. things that have been done before, but things that are current and progressive. And what was the, uh, how was the story told in that version of Othello with one word? Oh, yeah. there was this one moment when Desdemona um, is on on stage and there's Othello is standing in his big um not not othello the general who is iago iago uh-huh. is standing in his full uh regalia uh-huh. 
and she's in this white dress, and there are these plates that are stacked across the floor. And she's carefully, like, turning them over and setting them down as carefully as she can. And they're in rows, and she's mm-hmm. doing it. She accidentally drops one. And it's just the way that it's done, uh, she gets nervous because she drops it. So the next one, she drops more. And then it gets to the point where she's throwing them. And then all of a sudden, there's plates coming from each side, crashing on each side of the stage. And it was done with lights and music and just using moments to express what would it be at that time? The, uh, the her 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 mindset, her emotional uh, terrain yeah. was like that. Like she yeah. had her shit together, and then gradually was losing it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like just the way that that things were done in imagery, mm-hmm. and not so much in words. And the way that things were, um, there was a lot of theater over there. There was a project called War Stories that um, it was. I met some people, theater for everybody from Gaza. I worked in non-traditional theater techniques with Serbian women who are refugees. Um, So I was able to see theater in a new light and connect to it. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed a lot of what I learned in theater about doing dialects and things that I went there to learn. But I was never going to go to New York and live in a closet Mm -hmm. and audition every day I still wait tables but yeah (laughs) but I didn't want that lifestyle every time I would go there on a theater trip at VCU I'd be like I don't want to do this yeah why am I here why am I doing this what did you see theater as before you uh it changed for you abroad um just how it has the ability to affect people and make change Mm -hmm. um that's how you saw it before or after before I, I did film and television work, mm-hmm. and I came from a background of it's a Sanford Meisner technique, uh-huh. where you start from where you are. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an inside out technique, but it's for film and television to have the truth be in a close up. Do so, you know who Carol? You know Carol Pearsall, right? Mm-hmm. She was on here and she's teaching a Meisner class. Uh, in Richmond right now, and when she was she was on the podcast and she was telling me about that that uh, process. Yes, and she she described it as as having a lot to do with listening. A lot to do yeah. with listening. Yeah, yep. It has a lot to do with listening and letting it land on you and asking yourself how does that make you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, you add characters of how it would make your character feel. Not necessarily locked into how the script says it would make the character feel. Have an authentic response. That's how First, you bring uh-huh. believability into the circumstance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things like that are built into the technique. And I liked it for film and television, but a lot of the actors that I thought were more creative and expressive were able to do dialects mm-hmm. and be different people and stretch into characters a lot further than just you mm-hmm. responding to things. So I wanted to learn character work. And all of the advice that I got was to go into theater school. Mm-hmm. So I never went into theater school necessarily to do plays. Right. And um, it was to to add more to the film and television work that I was doing. And I did go back to film and television after theater school. Uh What got you into film and television in the first place? Like, uh, how did that happen? When I was, I was really, really, really shy. Uh, I couldn't stand in a grocery store line. If somebody was looking at me, I would blush terribly and have to leave. Mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I felt like people who could do that, people who could get in front of other people and express who they are and show emotions, if I could do that, I could do anything. Mm-hmm. 
So it was the thing that you couldn't do. Uh huh. It was a challenge yourself to get out of your comfort zone. But it also had the built-in safety of it's not you, it's somebody else. Right. It's a bad choice. It's a bad character. Right. So it gave the freedom to put yourself out there and kind of have the excuse to say, oh, well, that's what my character would do. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. that's not really what I would do. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you were initially getting your feet wet with just being comfortable under scrutiny or gaze or in front of people or as what you felt like the center of attention with all eyes on you getting comfortable with that and and then um by initially not being you yes and then so this has transformed very much since then. <laughs> <laughs> very very much when i moved to uh, richmond the first people that i met were um people doing performance art in the mm-hmm. area and musicians i grew up in newport news virginia beach area and even then, we used to always come to Richmond to see music. We'd yeah. go to the flood zone and uh-huh. places like that. So I feel like I've been in Richmond longer than I've been in Richmond. Mm-hmm. But um, it just seemed like more was happening here mm-hmm. in art. And in if you know anything about Newport News, it's mm-hmm. a lot of military housing and things like that. I so. think of it as one of those places where there's no there there. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really have a hub. Nope. It's just a lot of industrial, military industrial complex kind of stuff. A right? lot of people that are just going from one place to another. They're mm-hmm. just passing through. And the people who are there um, all know each other because they've all been there so mm-hmm. long. I, I went through school with the same person in front of me in my desk mm-hmm. because he wasn't a military student or a military family. Mm-hmm. So um, the people who are there went to all went to school together and stuff. So there is a small amount of people who... Mm-hmm are still there the people who weren't coming through because of military they were just the the locals yeah yeah and a very finite group of locals huh yeah did you ever find out this is a side note what the hell it's called newport news for like where did that name come from or anything Uh, (laughs) when christopher newport came over supposedly Uh this was his news it was that simple Uh ah but and that was like one of the first places he landed or something like that yeah okay it was the news hmm um but we've History always solved. called it Newport Blues. Ah, because so it's a drag. Yeah, it's a drag. But, but also so some blues to... artists came out of there. So oh, yeah, okay. It has a double meaning. It's not far from Norfolk, though. Is nothing in Norfolk that was, like, interesting? That's how, where I was doing the film and television stuff. Yeah. That's where I got into that. And sometimes, yeah, we would go to shows at a place called King's Head Inn, and mm-hmm. um, it would be some of the Richmond bands and things like that. But it, the scene was still really pretty. Boathouse. Pretty small. The Boathouse, I yeah. saw a lot of things at the Boathouse, uh-huh. which it's no longer there. Oh, really? That's gone? Yeah, it's gone. I saw, the, I saw Faith No More and the Red Hot Chili Peppers there in 1989. Did you? I think, yeah. 1989-90. Yeah, a fairly small place with a, a, a segregated beer area, mm-hmm. the beer garden. Yeah. If you lived in that area, it was a rite of passage to go to the 21 side. Uh-huh. Yeah, now I can stand on the other yeah. side of the chicken wire. Yeah, right? <laughs> further away from the stage. Yeah, <laughs> that seemed like kind of a jip there. Yeah. What else was down there? Like Insect, is Insect Club, was that in New It York? was there for a couple of years. Yeah. I'm not sure why it went away, but for a very few years, it was a blip. It always seemed know. to me like Norfolk was taken more seriously than Richmond, you know, as a city. Really? whatever reason but maybe what's <laughs> funny is now they're um norfolk is using richmond as an example of how to grow as really they're doing they're starting a mural project wow and doing those sort of things to try to catch up to richmond 
before they sink into the ocean? I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a, apparently threatening them pretty heavily that the sea levels are rising down there. Yep. So film and television work in Norfolk, and so you, you chose that intentionally. Somebody didn't just kind of come along and say, hey, come, come do this. You like went out and auditioned. I went out and auditioned. Um, I had worked at Bush Gardens a few times and played a little bit in some mm -hmm. of their live entertainment things and had a lot of response about being pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was playing and putting on characters. So it, it kind of led me in the, maybe I should pursue this. Um, but really, there was this one teacher who, um, it was at the actor's place in Virginia Beach. I just made a phone call one time, and she started talking to me like we are now. She's like, mm -hmm. so, what do you do? Who are you? Why do you want to do this? And based on her conversation with me, um, she said she would accept me. Uh, usually you have to audition. Mm -hmm. But my conversation was the audition, and then some things came up because, um, you know, just struggling, waiting tables, trying to make ends meet. I couldn't afford the classes. Um, about two years later, I got my show together a little bit better, and I called her back. And the first thing she said to me was, where have you been? <laughs> like, she was waiting for me to come. And this person was a mentor for my life. Her name is Sylvia Harmon. Um, she's the one that gave me my audition piece for VCU. She had two monologues that she used as audition pieces, and she said, I'm going to turn them over to you. This is what you're going to audition. And she taught me how to do a theater audition. Because she said that now that I'm out of my shell, um, she was going to make sure that I got an education. So she really pushed for helping me get some scholarship money and things like that. But I had somebody who I sort of was inquisitive, and they were interested in what I had to say and just um, ran with me when I got in there. So I was really lucky to find a person that is very much the reason why I'm here mm -hmm. and educated and went through school and made a difference in my life. So when you, you went to Romania after in this trajectory mm -hmm. and at this point you were already like I don't you don't I don't feel like learning a bunch of lines and repeating them night after night. <laughs> I hated and it. I, yeah. I hated it. I was like the funny thing is getting into theater to try on all of these characters and to have the creativity and to um come out of the shell and then there was a point where it turned around and I didn't want somebody telling me what to do, mm -hmm. what to feel. Mm -hmm. I would read lines and say, but I don't want to be this sad person yeah. today. So I started to get a lot more confidence in myself and how I felt and what I wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I think the Romanian, the Romanian experience also happened. I was leaving a 12-year relationship mm. with someone who didn't like the fact that his partner was being educated. Mm. Yeah. And... So I was commuting. A little threatened by that, I yeah. guess. Yeah, huh? and I was commuting from Newport News to go through VCU and to go through school. And I was also working and trying to pay for school at the same time. And it finally got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. And so I decided to move here, and it was the year that I graduated. So six years on and off of trying to make a relationship work and doing mm -hmm. all these things. Um, and when I moved here was also me going to Romania. Mm-hmm was the year that that I did that and I think just being able to go to a whole nother country yeah your life changes a little bit in one way and a big way in another way that you start seeing things differently mm -hmm. feeling more independent and just the what's whole the big way that it changes you think and then 
I think the, the coolest thing about studying abroad is you start to see what's really, especially if you don't speak the same language, mm -hmm. what's important. It takes all the crap away of, mm -hmm. you know, things that you think are important until you can't ask for it uh -huh. and you need it. Uh -huh. Or, um, and the, the way of speaking to other people without using words or, or miming or mm -hmm. trying to express with people that don't speak the same way as you and learning how people do things in a different way. Mm -hmm. It was just an incredible experience. And in Romania, they have... Um, they, it was 14 years after their, I guess, civil war, mm -hmm. where they overthrew their government. So there was still rubble in the streets. That was, so they had the, was that where they had the Velvet Revolution? Or am I mixing this up? I don't know. They didn't actually have to have a, a war, per se, or did they? Was it a... It was civilians rising up against the Russian, or the communist government. Okay. So I'm they pulled thinking. themselves out of communism. But people were so... Still third, there were, there were carts taking cheese to the market every day. Mm -hmm. There were fields. wooden carts like that. Yeah, uh -huh. and you would buy your eggs from the lady who just walked out of her house, mm -hmm. you know, with them in her basket. And people were living so incredibly simply, mm -hmm. and it was just really cool to see what you really need and what really matters. And families live together. Mm -hmm. That's a whole another thing that was interesting. Multi generational, mm -hmm. right? And, and the sense of family. I stayed with a host family, and to be part of a family like that mm -hmm. for a little while was really eye-opening. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was just a whole other way of living and being, and just you weren't only there with Romanians. You were there with people from France. People, mm -hmm. So you were seeing plays from or performance art from all over the world, and you were having conversations with people from different companies different languages some of them had a translator with them and that either usually um, t they spoke English and French mm -hmm. so you could talk to people from all over and see what is important to you why are you here mm -hmm. why are, you know what is your piece about so there's a lot of information for someone like me out of you know yeah Newport coming news from Newport News right and so you're it, simultaneously maybe this is what you meant by big ways and small ways is you're simultaneously realizing that um, you can simplify a lot of things. And that simplicity is actually huge that mm -hmm. people have a lot in common. You know, they're only they're separated by some sort of arbitrary things like the words that they speak. Yeah. You know, so mm -hmm. if you can just take that language out of it, you could speak more universally to more people. You could mm -hmm. communicate to more people. Yeah. And things like. They were amazed that people wanted to carry around a hot drink because you sit at home at a table mm -hmm. and have your coffee. Like mm -hmm. just the, the whole, just there were so many things that were so different and the reason why we carry coffee around mm -hmm. while we do things because we're going so fast right? and we don't stop to think about things and we have to get things done and they're like, no, you stop. Right. <laughs> and you sit drink down. your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So this... This began the gestation of you wanting to communicate more visually, gesturally. Yeah, and, and in other ways. Um, I didn't grow up in an in a atmosphere where I wanted to be a dancer. Mm -hmm. you know, I used to watch Fame and Soul Train, and that's where mm -hmm. I learned all my good moves. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> I saw all the dance movies in the 80s, so I'm telling on myself. But, Who and I was, didn't? <laughs> Footloose, <laughs> man, come on. Flash dance? Yep. I saw all that I, shit, too. Yep. Um, so put that mic a little bit like in front of you like that. I know. I know oh, I'm sorry. Kind of, yeah, there Seems we go. 
It yeah. seems like it's in the way, is it? A little bit. You want to lower it down some? You can like kind of tilt it down so it's not right in front of your face. Oh, it's kind of tight. It's fine. All right. It's fine. Yeah, but just I, I wanted to be a dancer, and I didn't get that opportunity. I was not nurtured in that way growing up. Um, what kind of a household did you grow up in? I left home at 16. Oh, yeah? In the middle of a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a household where a father who is a child of an alcoholic, it took a lot of reading over a lot of years uh-huh. and a lot of healing, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, had a mother with multiple personality disorder. Oh, wow. Amongst- the father, the uh, uh, alcoholic father had a mother with multiple personality no, my mother. Your mother. Had multiple Oh, your mother was. Oh, So there okay. were two people with very, very difficult problems to deal with, mm-hmm. um, and they could not help each other. Not real available for you or each other. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. no. Um, and it was me and my sister, and I just, there was a point in my life where I quit school, and I just left. Um, and looking back and going through, you know, talking to people, going to therapists and things like that, they were like, you did what was right for you. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. The fact that they didn't stop you and help you, and that's where the problems were messed up. Mm-hmm. So it took a long time to be able to forgive my parents because mm-hmm. I was going to be a ballerina mm-hmm. <laughs> or something mm-hmm. or a dancer. But I feel like where I've ended up now in the journey through the theater and the film acting and all of that has brought me right back to what I always wanted to yeah. be. Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm familiar with that kind of uh, revelation about, oh, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, like how the past, you know, could have been different. Maybe my parents could have raised me here or they could have said this or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're sitting there saying that from a place where you are pretty cool with where you're at, then you have to say, well, that was actually all part yeah. of me getting here, you know. That's I wouldn't be near as tough as I am and gotten <laughs> yeah. as far if yeah. I didn't if I didn't have that. It's your story. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things for me, um, you talk about the Daisy Lays Cabaret. Um, they were the first people I met when I came here. The performance art aspect, being able to go out and dance and play and mm-hmm. just be crazy. Um, I, I miss that. Yeah. It was so much fun. But using performance art as a way, as an outlet, was always really a cool thing for me. But um, I got into aerial arts and getting into aerial work and doing aerial arts. It was funny that there is an artist in town. Um, his name is Rob Petries, And he had a piece on a rope, a modern dance piece. Mm-hmm. He showed it at the Philadelphia Fringe Festival probably 15 or so years ago. And he's not an aerialist. He's a modern dancer mm-hmm. who wanted to do a show on a rope. Mm-hmm. And uh, he turned it into a three-person piece later. And when he opened Dogtown Dance Theater in 2010, he opened up auditions to the community mm-hmm. to come. Um, he wanted to redo his choreography with people that were not in his dance company, mm-hmm. but community members. And he, he had two pieces, one about running and one about a rope. So he wanted runners and he wanted climbers. And I was the only climber in Richmond, so I was cast. How did you have the background in climbing? Uh, aerial dance. So you had already been doing that. I had already been doing that. How did that you get started years. into that? Oh, that's a story too. Everything. That's has what a we're story. here for. <laughs> okay. Thank um, goodness you have stories. Otherwise, what, we're just staring at each other. Here's <laughs> what happened. Um, do you are you familiar with the music circus? Uh-uh. Brian Jones. Um, he's a a jazz drummer. Uh, it's local. Mm-hmm. And they used to do it at Chop Suey Books 
where they had musicians in each of the rooms Mm -hmm. and they were different kinds. You'd have somebody with a dulcimer in a room and then you'd have in another room somebody... Time frame. What are we talking about? Oh, God. Hmm. Uh, They still do it, but Mm -hmm. they do it at U of R now. Yeah, I don't think I was around for that. But it was before Top Suey Books moved Uh into Carytown. So when they were down there on, uh, uh, what is that, Uh, Carry and... um, Morris or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's probably Harvey. About, I would say maybe five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe six years ago. Probably closer to six. <laughs> um, I went there, and I have this little thing about me. Like, I feel like I can dance to anything. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, I have fun with that idea. Uh, when I first moved here, I used to go to Emilio's Salsa Nights, and I couldn't salsa to save my life, so I would just jump in there mm-hmm. until I figured it all out. Mm-hmm. And so... This music circus, um, Brian Jones, he's an amazing jazz drummer. He collects all of these drummers from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. rock drummers, you know, djembe drummers mm-hmm. from different bands and things around Richmond. And he does, I think the way, the best way to explain it is like an anti-rhythm ensemble. Mm-hmm. It's a drum ensemble. But the idea is not to get into this jam. Mm-hmm. It's not a jam. Right. It's more improvisational and it switches. So, um Developing this idea and writing about this idea, I've turned it into, um, it's like fractal sound, mm-hmm. like fractal theory, chaos mm-hmm. theory chaos and sound. Theory, yeah, uh-huh. So I started to feel like a pattern in it, but you can't dance to that. You don't right. know what's coming. You don't know. It's so all over the place. And I had this vision of a mobile of a few dancers in the air moving to the harmony. Mm. So creating the harmony to this improv. So in this harmony, these different um, dancers would have probably a set choreography, but they would move to how it feels to them at different times. Uh So it would create a harmony in this chaos with the option to have moments where they go out of it Uh if the music changes in that way. So they don't have to be being told what to do by the music if they don't want to. Just a basic structure, uh-huh. yeah. And at this point, so you decided you wanted to see this in the air, but yeah. you didn't have any experience nope. with, in the air. Okay. So I ended up at the trapeze school in New York in D.C., and I'm standing on the edge, holding on to this trapeze bar. This is like a, circus trapeze? Yeah, uh-huh. to fly, flying uh-huh. trapeze. And uh, they yelled, hep, and I couldn't go. I, like, froze <laughs> yeah. up there. I was like, I don't want to, maybe I don't, it's I don't not know. Very easy to step I can't do that. this. Yeah. <laughs> But I went to three classes and decided it definitely was not what I wanted to do. Um, And then I tried some other things, and I found the aerial silks. And I really liked the idea of I hold on and I control it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know how I'm in there and how I'm wrapped. And there are ways to safety yourself if your grip isn't strong enough. Mm -hmm. And um, Learning aerial silks is a lot like yoga. It's mm-hmm. very progressive and strength building, where if you're just throwing yourself on a trapeze, it's a whole different experience. Yeah. I think we're talking about it now as a group going out there and trying it again, because I think now I can do it. Uh-huh. But at that time, that was a hell of a way to start. Is just like You need to work up it. to that. Yeah. Yes. Now you're going to take a leap. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, I spent about four years training in D.C. and Baltimore, driving out of town once or twice a week to train and learn how to do it. And I still have the vision, and I still have... I want this piece to be a First Friday So piece. this hasn't happened yet. This has not happened yet. I think that's really cool. I know next to nothing about dance, but mm-hmm. I've seen Martha Graham. I've seen some of her stuff. And what I find really interesting about her modern dance is it is really... 
a lot of times, I guess it's modern dance, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's it usually is very gestural to the music that is playing alongside it, and it really emphasizes like tr- playing the rhythm, the melody, all of that kind of stuff. It's related to it, but it's sort of picking and choosing at different times what part of it is going to be uh, expressing. Yes. You know, so it's dancing to it, but it's also answering it. It's embodying it. You know, it's articulating the music, you know, gesturally and all of that. Is that the sort of thing that you... I love playing with that sort of thing, yes. Yes, I do. That's part of it. Um, The cool thing about... The cool thing about this kind of work is there's a lot of people interested in collaborating with it. Mm -hmm. I've done some things with musicians, like live music, Mm -hmm. playing with with that. Um, Visual artists have been interested in creating pieces along with it. Uh, it becomes parts of shows mm-hmm. that are performance oriented. Um, artworks, when they do some of their stuff, we go in there now and add a movement element to whatever the feel of the work is. Um, so it's become a whole bunch of different things. It goes in different directions depending on who you're working with or what the needs of the the ensemble or the show or mm-hmm. the piece um, asks for. But also the people, um, you asked about my project, hasn't been done yet. I had to teach people how to do it first. Ah, you're the only one that knew how to do it. <laughs> I'm the only one who knows how to do it. So I decided to start a program. And Okay, so this is how this connects <laughs> to all of this, is that you yeah. got into this because you were going to these drum circuses and you were like, you had this vision for this thing, so you had to f- learn how to do the thing and then you have to teach people how to do the thing and then you can do the thing. Yeah, and then you That's can awesome. do the thing. But you also need money to do the thing. Mm-hmm. This is what I Silk's learned along the way. Cheap. Silks aren't cheap, carabiners aren't cheap, swivels aren't cheap, insurance mm. is really, really not cheap. And space, 20-foot ceilings in Richmond are expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Dogtown Dance Theater has uh, given me a home, and I am able to teach classes there, and we trade for rehearsal space on Sundays. Um, but we have so much that we could do if we could just have more space so maybe we need to make this part of a kickstarter thing where you tell this whole story well Uh, are you already doing that the kickstarter no Uh um we were working on a kickstarter uh we're getting an but we've done a couple of performances uh where we've won prizes and donations um we're saving for outdoor rig so we can take it outside so we could do first Friday on the rig in a small way first before we do the big thing from mm-hmm. the crane that I want to do. Um, we can do farmers markets, festivals. So these rigs al- like allow you to suspend. Is this just is this have anything to do with Cirque du Soleil? Is oh it, yeah, yeah. That, is it where it's it, a contemporary circus art? Did they popularize this kind of thing? Okay. Yes. Because that's yes. where I've seen it before. It's come out of a French circus school mm-hmm. and made its debut mostly in Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. That's why people want to do it. The first thing people are like, what are silks? What is tissue? What is that? Um, and when you say Cirque du Soleil, they're like, oh, the fabric. Oh, that's oh, Yeah, right. <laughs> and they've been, doing, they've been doing it for like 20 mm-hmm. years or something. Is that right? That or more. Yeah. yeah. I remember when that was like the really avant stuff and they've been doing it fairly regularly and they've managed to be acceptable and still edgy mm-hmm. you know or, or or normal or or i mean they're doing vegas and things like that and right? have androgynous and, and, characters yeah, and, yeah yeah uh i think that i'm really sitting here fascinated by 
the great the idea of the gradient of taking flight you know mm -hmm. through safety and through control mm -hmm. you know and recognizing that you need a certain level of safety as you transcend you and know strength yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that it, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to fucking jump off the platform all at once and go flying <laughs> through the fucking air. You no. Can, you can wrap yourself up, you know, one foot off the ground and get used to that mm -hmm. and have control over it. It doesn't have to be somebody else pushing you to do it, you know. It's in your hands. It's, it's mm -hmm. very much like yoga in that way. Mm -hmm. you, um, even some of our poses and warm-ups are yoga poses and warm-ups. We'll turn the silks into a hammock which is basically putting a knot into the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like a hammock that you would lay in or sit in, mm -hmm. and people can invert themselves and get comfortable being upside down. Kind of meditate. Mm -hmm. like uh -huh. And meditate and do positions like, I don't know if you know yoga, but bird, mm -hmm. uh, scorpion and mm -hmm. bird and things like that can be done in this, this safe atmosphere mm -hmm. and stretch yourself and get used to being mm -hmm. in fabric. And getting used to yeah. your... I mean that's my mat right there. Yeah. I I have I haven't been doing it lately. I took a little break, but I got into it a few years ago. And what I really liked about it for me was that it was well, two things were going on. It made me realize that I'm not riding around in my body. I am my body. Mm -hmm. You know, like tips of toes to tips of fingers. This is all me. You know, and to spend like an hour just hanging out. You know, being in this uh, just in, you know uh, this focused this. Uh, encapsulated sort mm -hmm. of in my attention yeah. to this stuff and to realize that this is always this system of things that are at work that I'm not paying attention to, you know, blood p pumping around cells, dividing yeah. energy being, you know, and I'm just, uh, my consciousness is elsewhere my con and, and it's all going along faithfully and loyally and I'm not giving it any attention. And that during that time, I sort of am thanking those loyal systems. It sounds kind of cheesy. No, but I mean, not you know, at all. I'm thanking those and, and acknowledging those loyal systems what they do and realize that is also part of who myself is is that abiding loyal you know thing that's functioning all the time you know and being Not present to it it tells you what to, what it needs mm -hmm. so yeah. that you can be in tune with it and keep it you're a lot you know a lot more than you think you know when you take the time to <laughs> pay attention to that stuff yeah and i i like that um i i also like that parts of it are uncomfortable and you get comfortable with being uncomfortable you develop a practice for being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. for being challenged a little, for feeling some, you know, pain, mm -hmm. you know, and knowing what's good pain that you can sort of be in and breathe a little bit and then get out of it. And then then you can apply that to other stuff. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable in your car because of traffic or whatever, you can say, you know, this is this is like a pose. Yeah. Just, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So is it like that? Uh, it is. Yeah. It is. Sometimes when you first wrap your foot up in fabric, people go, oh, it's tight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. a little too tight. And you learn to to push yourself into the fabric with your foot. Turn it into, don't let it just throw your foot to the mm -hmm. side and try to roll you out to resist mm -hmm. a little bit. And that resistance that you're learning builds the strength and puts muscles in your foot where you never had muscles before. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're really hitting a lot of muscles and parts of your body that are new to being holding weight mm -hmm. and being wrapped in and stuff. So sometimes those, those parts yell at you a little bit, the back of your knees. Yeah. And, yeah. So for, for you, you're very conscious because there's been some analysis and then some reflection and all of that. that this is a, a, a philosophical and spiritual and a healing 
practice for you oh, yeah. when you're teaching other people um do you let them find that for themselves or do you guide them in that direction a little and say this could be this for you or you know i think that people who end up in aerial classes are special people anyway yeah there are people who want to do it for fitness, and you realize that those people just want to have a fun way to be stronger. Mm -hmm. And then you get the people that are there because they've dreamed of flying. Mm -hmm. They have these dreams, and they're like, I just know I'm supposed to be doing this. Um, I let them live that out, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, I have a friend, uh, his, they call him Farid. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Alan. He used yes. to own the camel. One of the owners of the I camera. I don't think so. The original owners. And uh, his daughter owns Lamplighter. Is mm -hmm. one of the Lamplighter girls. But he's a whirling dervish. And he's 70. I hope he doesn't mind. He's <laughs> 73 years old. And he came to my class and he wanted to learn how to whirl in the fabric. Oh, wow. And we did that. It took a few classes, you know. He had to develop the strength. And we never got very high. But we did get to the point where we could whirl in the fabric. Wow. And get up there and get the turning and... And Spinning like that, like the top of the whirling dervish, mm -hmm. but in the air. And the, and we have the whirling dervishes, that's a, a uh, it's a, a Turkish, like kind of folk dance mm -hmm. kind of a thing, spinning, and then their head is spinning. And then I think something. it's spiritual and meditative. Mm -hmm. I don't know if drugs are involved. Head rushes. Possibly. Pos <laughs> <laughs> Dizziness. Yeah. yeah. But it was really cool to just see people. They come in with, this is, this is what I'm seeing. This mm -hmm. is what I'm wanting. And um, he walked up to uh, a friend of mine in the store who knew what I would do, what I do and who I am and said, guess what? I'm a sparrow. So we have a t-shirt now that says, I'm a sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> because he did that um, with his name underneath of it. Uh, so we got a quote from him. But um, I've had people who do belly dance say, I want to belly dance in the fabric. I want them mm -hmm. to be scarves. I want them. So they have a creative vision that they come in with. But then you also have those people who come in that the first thing they do is get up there and they um, they tear themselves down. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in my class, it's a can-do attitude. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to hear can't. We're not doing can't. Uh, we're just going to back up a little and try this first. Yeah. Um, so seeing people be hard on themselves and and seeing them want to just be there already. Perfectionists, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and taking those people and, and helping them realize that they're in a safe environment it's a non-competitive sport. Mm -hmm. You're not competing with yourself and slowing down and finding the yoga mm -hmm. in it and the joy of dancing. You want to be dancing. You want to be in this pose. Yeah. You're not trying to to go harder than you can right, right now. It's just not time yet. That's the mark of a really good teacher that gets it, I think, <laughs> in that because... I mean, there are so many um, type A personalities that are drawn to yoga, and I, I've been told I'm a type A personality. I, I don't know if I am or not, but, um, you know, there is that sense that I want to get it right and I want to be there. And if um, if you have the right teacher, they're constantly telling you, you know, do, the journey is the thing, you know, be where you are now, make your little bit of progress, be okay with yourself, stop trying to force yourself into this um, your vision of perfection, like recognize mm -hmm. what perfection is, that perfection is the progress, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and that being committed to the progress yields more benefits than just jumping to perfect. Right. You know, right. yeah, I can really relate to that. And you see the girls that come in and they have a perfect split because they were a gymnast their whole life, but mm -hmm. then they don't understand why 
they can't do certain things in the fabric because they've always had a perfect split. Mm -hmm. They've always been able to do like the first three tricks we did in class, but Mm -hmm. now they're hitting something that's a muscle they never used before. And you see the frustration in, in, but this is easy for me. How come I can't do this? Mm -hmm. Um, Working past those things and also just um, confidence building. It's empowering. Every time you learn how to do the next thing, which you Mm do, it's Mm -hmm. very, like if you can't do something, the next time you come to class, you'll be able to do it mm-hmm. because I'm not going to push you any harder than what I know you can do. And also just taking the time to look at what people are good at and what people are not good at. Like um, Hannah Sparrow, <laughs> my friend Hannah, who is in the troupe and also still a student, she has a bendy back. So we spend a lot of time doing tricks I know mm-hmm. that really showcase mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And then when we do things like splits or something that she's not as good, we spend a lot more time in the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. So we go back and forth between showcasing what people are good at right. and then working mm-hmm. for the things that need work. Now, how, how long have you been teaching people to do this? Uh, well, I started the program in 2011, but I uh, brought in a teacher from, her name's Robin Berry from DC of artists and athletics and she is circus trained teacher and I said if I make a class for you in Richmond Virginia I'll do the marketing I'll bring them in you can keep the money for the students just teach me how to teach because I've been learning this but I want to know how to spot I want to know what safety is I want to know how to do all of these things so she came in for a year and a half and it was her program like she would come in she'd you know, I'd have everything all set up, all the silks and all that, and she would jump in and teach and then get back in the car and go home. And then after a year and a half, we started, um, it was time to go. Uh, we had a farewell party for her, and it was my birthday. So that was in 2013? So, no, 2012. Halfway through 2012, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I took it over. So I continue to teach weekly. Um, I go to a lot of workshops and seminars and things like that. I went to the the Aerial Dance Festival in Boulder, Colorado. I still continue to get in my car and drive places to learn new things because mm-hmm. that's the only way I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been teaching about that long. And within maybe six more months, I put together some of the better students to create an aerial troupe out of it as well. And a lot of this is with help of Culture Works. And the uh, the the part of of you getting people to comfortably challenge themselves and all of that is that something you intuited that you've kind of brought to it, or was that expressly sort of taught to you and mentored into you, or is that something you've added? I think that's me. Is, yeah. I think that's me. I think um, I'm a sensitive person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why I ended up in the arts and the dance and all of that in the first place, and just coming from a background of people who are sensitive anyway Mm -hmm. you know just having family and things that you have to be sensitive to people's issues Mm -hmm. and people's things Mm -hmm. because everybody has them and they're all different and to find a way to get them over through around Mm -hmm. to the next thing to navigate that sort of thing that's a I, i i like that definition of sensitive i think the mainstream assumption is is that you're touchy Oh, you know, I can be but, touchy. <laughs> it goes be with touchy. being sensitive, yeah. but you can get angry too. It's a bigger. It, there's a bigger picture that it is an awareness uh, and an intuition, intuition of what is going on around you, sensing it. You know, you, you sense a lot more than is expressed. 
you generally can tell what's going on behind what's going on mm-hmm. you know what what's motivating people you can even if you don't know you can you got some you know nagging suspicion got a feeling yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> got a hunch mm-hmm. yeah. and so probably probably Malcolm Gladwell would say you know that you that is your very rapid assessment intellectually that you make this you know this is part of your understanding of what people are saying that they're not saying with language you know like really be, you know, picking up on all these clues, all these movements, all this body language, all of the you know, inflections, changes in, you know, eye widenings, narrowing, all of that. You probably mm-hmm. you probably make a really incredibly fast assessment of that. Yeah. You know. I always thought I, I, I should be a detective. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> something else that I thought about doing because of those types of things. But... Um, but there's so many people that, that need... I mean... <laughs> We, as Americans, you know, like this walking around with our coffee thing, like the mm-hmm. Romanians are talking about, we are all being told that we're supposed to be badasses. Mm-hmm. And that being a badass means that you're on the move, you don't feel pain, you keep rolling, you get up, you rub some dirt on it, you know, you don't um, you don't acknowledge that stuff. People who do acknowledge that stuff are dra- dramatic or they're <laughs> you're neurotic or, yeah. or whatever. And they're neurotic because we don't have a comfortable place in our culture for people to be human. Yeah. You know, we've, we live in this society that really tries to make us into machines and consumers. And it's ironic because we think it's, its basis is freedom. Right. But it, it really, really the Industrial Revolution made us all, you know, cogs and... There's a subtle message all the time that you've got to find your place in the machine, yeah. you know, and um, and in Europe, that's that's that that pre-industrial thing of like the wooden cart coming with the eggs and all of that kind of stuff. They they remember that it's there's there was a, a time when people were more you know in tune with their natural kinds of cells, Completely. you know, and we're yeah. having to like relearn that as Americans, as Westerners, mm-hmm. you know, going back to Whole Foods and mm-hmm. and yoga and meditating and um, teaching our children at home and things mm-hmm. like that. That's, they still do that there. They never stopped. And there, there's so many, I mean, there's a lot of fashionable language around that and, and, and sort of, you know, flavor of the month kind of stuff, like such as mindfulness that that's been, you know, it's a word people throw around a whole lot, you know? Um, but it is such a practical thing, you know, not to be paying attention you know, like the idea that you would sit down and you'd pay attention to this coffee you're drinking. It's not a accessory to your movement. You look in the in the cup is empty, and you're like, oh, where did oh, the coffee where'd go? That, right, right. And I, I swore I just had a cup <laughs> of coffee in my. That happens to me all the time. Yeah. And just, and eating, drinking, you know, just everything. Cell phone here. Yeah. It's a completely different life if you pay attention to what's going on, and even you know, in the most like, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, like. Um, mundane kinds of moments you know the the Mm -hmm. most like sort of taken for granted kinds of moments that you start noticing how you're doing things how you you how you physically do things how you emotionally do things how you mentally do things you know how you act Mm -hmm. and then you realize you're not stuck with that you know that that you can there's there's plenty of room for altering that or changing that up or reinventing that and it's all very practical stuff it's it's you know it's not um, I mean, spirituality is practical. It's it's like teaching yourself to pay attention to yourself and the, like challenge yourself, and you know. And it's funny we're talking. I'm talking about that in dichotomous language, t- teaching you to teach yourself, and it's all <laughs> one thing, yeah. you know. But we we suffer from that split. We know they're natural, 
things, you know, there's, there's something telling us that this is unnatural about the way that we have been conditioned yeah. to behave. When you're up 20 feet in the air wrapped in fabric, you have to be really present. Very focused. (laughs) You can't be thinking about what happened yesterday. That's great. (laughs) It's like martial arts in that sort of athletic, that discipline that starts to happen as you start having focus and body awareness and things. All of that comes along with it as well. Were you a focused person before you got into doing your whole trajectory or were you kind of all (laughs) over the place? I'm still all over the place. (laughs) I want to be everything when I grow up. Except mm-hmm. a toll booth operator and a truck driver. But <laughs> Why not either of those things? What's wrong with that? I don't like driving to begin with, but I feel sorry for them because of all the tailpipes that come through there. Oh, the yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of exhaust. Yeah. Um, but I, I have uh, attention deficit myself. Mm-hmm. I am very ADD all over the place kind of person. And I think that finding not just aerial silks, but circus arts Mm -hmm. has given me focus Mm -hmm. a lot. Having and creating something that depends on me. Mm -hmm. If I don't show up one day, um, eight people don't learn how to do something. Right. So it's accountability. It's the first time I think I've ever done that. Mm -hmm. You know, I would quit a waitress job every year. And go follow the Grateful Dead or do something else. No call, no show quit. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just not coming in. Just don't go back. Um, When I moved to Richmond, I think I changed that a little. I was at 4th Street Cafe for until it closed for like six or seven years. I've been at Galaxy now for 12. Oh, yeah, you worked there? But I think when I moved here, I made that change too, Mm -hmm. like creating something that was stable for me, that sort of stability. But then taking it further is creating something that creates something for someone else Mm -hmm. and seeing the results of that and seeing how it it kind of extensions of yourself in a way like seeing people experiencing things for the first time like having children almost Mm -hmm. sometimes where you know you see somebody do a double drop for the first time Mm -hmm. and the terror in their eyes oh uh oh yeah i remember that you're you're (laughs) proud of them when they do it yeah yeah yeah. so and i know that if i don't go to class i don't get to see that i don't Mm -hmm. get to um those people don't get to experience that and there are so many um I still, I still. So it's nurturing. It is. It's nurturing too. And you get to nurture others in a way that you aren't necessarily. That's built in too. Yeah. It's all built in. But you did get nurtured by other people, the mentors. There were, Mm -hmm. yeah, there were a few. Mm -hmm. There were a few. And they were very strong women who did a lot of stuff on their own. Mm -hmm. So that was really helpful to see what they could do and what they did do. Do you reckon it's part of the arc and the trajectory of people who are iconoclasts and rebels and wanderers and whatever, that at some point you uh, realize you're amassing all of this stuff so that you can be someplace. Put it somewhere. Yeah. It all makes sense. Bring bring it back. Like, this was the first time when I fell into circus arts that I was like, I found it. Mm -hmm. Here it is. This is is what I'm doing. Um, And other people are coming along with me, which is the coolest thing. We now have a juggling teacher that just moved into the area, so the program is expanding into floor arts. But um, you were talking about the nurturing. I really want a children's program, and I don't have the space. I started with adults because that's who responded first mm-hmm. when I put out, put out the call for who would be interested in it if I did this. And uh, because I told you my story that I never got to dance, I feel like I was a kinetic learner. I was terrible in school. Mm-hmm. I always had to move. I always had to yeah. do stuff. Um, 
So that didn't help on top of a home life that wasn't very nurturing. Mm -hmm. So being a kinetic learner with a non-supportive thing. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I've seen the benefit of movement on people who get that opportunity, mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. that's where they express. So being able to have a program for at-risk youth is really a goal. My next goal as far as developing the program that I have. Probably you find somebody who can write grants. I have dabbled in that a little. I uh, got a little bit of grant money from Culture Works originally to buy my safety mats. Mm -hmm. And then they gave me, um, they gave me money again uh, as an individual artist, an aerialist, to learn how to rig so that I could safely put people in the air and didn't have to pay somebody every time we have to move a mm -hmm, point. Mm -hmm. I learned how to do that. And then the so you actually learned the mechanics of the rig that everybody is suspended from? Yeah. But where I work at Dogtown this summer, I hired um, some interns from U of R and VCU, and our project together was to make a grant. So for Dogtown Dance Theater, who is the actual nonprofit that we're under, mm -hmm. we kind of are fiscal sponsored by them now, um, we wrote a grant for December for the Richmond Dance Festival. So I'm, I'm playing with figuring out how all that works. But there's, there's got to be, I mean, your ability to articulate the benefit of this to um, people who are trying to support that kind of, you know, uh, a thing being available to at-risk youth. And just and even in schools, like, they, they pull out all the arts and they mm -hmm. pull out all the PE and the recreation and stuff, and that is so important for those kids who have to sit there for two hours and they aren't retaining a single thing. Yeah. They would if you let them run around right. a couple times and sit back down every mm -hmm. once in a while. Mm -hmm. They would, they would, I mean, that's how I got through college. I'd read three pages of a book, go, I don't understand this, run around Gray Street up and down a couple times, and then sit back down and try again. I wonder if they would let, you know, when I was in uh, elementary school here at Bellevue, they had these groups that came to the school that they weren't part of the school all the time. They called them EPA teams. EPA uh, teams. E P A H. And I think. Uh, it was something like Education Program of Arts and Humanities or something like that. But they came and they did all this movement stuff and, like, very physical, very fun, a lot of games. Uh, you know, I remember being exposed to some kind of yoga during that and whatever. And I wonder if, since the schools aren't supporting these things, if you could, you know, sort of say, hey, well, you know, we can travel around and bring this to various schools. You know, you can make it part of the Richmond Public Schools kind of curriculum without yeah. it having to have a one school whose budget it's on, you know, with the the whole... But a whole thing, um, yeah. I'm... A lot of times, like, I didn't realize when I got into doing this that I would have to start deciphering how nonprofits work mm -hmm. <laughs> and all mm -hmm. the book work and the, and the legalities and the paperwork liabilities. and the liabilities and, mm -hmm. yeah, all of those things. So a lot of times I feel like a person who can't read in a whole world of books... <laughs> <laughs> So I, I take advantage of opportunities as they come along. Um, I'm up for a partial grant with 10 other nonprofits through Dogtown right now to go through a program, a year training of how to solicit from private donors. So I think being involved in the nonprofit world in the way that I am now with Dogtown Dance Theater is really preparing me. To I don't think that's going to be too hard for you. Once you just need to throw a cocktail party for a bunch of old ladies that hang around the museum and give them something else to do with their money, and yeah. they'll just be just put a hat out. Yeah, you know? 
we uh, we hung ourselves in <laughs> we that's a kind of an inside joke in Culture Works uh, for their they do a yearly expo and we won for Dogtown Dance Theater. Is Culture Works a physical? I mean, like a building. It somewhere? used to be Richmond Dance Council. Okay. I mean, Richmond <laughs> Dance Council, Richmond Arts Council. Um, and then it was, I think, John Bryan, President John Bryan, took it over, and it became Culture Works. Uh, and on Hamilton. It's on it's Hamilton. Down on Hamilton Street. And uh, are they building a new? Are they building something new, or they've they've got the space? I think I'm I mixing this up with the, know. the VCU. Thing I don't know. The VCU is building. VCU yeah. is building a contemporary art museum. Okay. And I want to know if we can hang in there. <laughs> I would uh, like to see the plans of that building because I'm a VCU alum. Uh-huh. They need to let me hang in there. That's right. For even the grand you didn't opening. Learn this there. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> but that's that's a possibility. That's something else I'm looking into is maybe teaching adjunct. You reminded me. I need to get John Bryan on here. There's actually been you a have to. There's been a run. He was a teacher. <coughs> I mean, he was a parent at um, William Fox when I was in. When I was 20, I did the after school program there mm-hmm. when I was at VCU, and I had a little soccer program. And three of the parents that I remember: John Bryan and uh, Paul Di Pasquale and Carol Pearsall. And so far, two of the three of them have been on this podcast. Nice. And it's been Put it to him that way. So you're the only one that hasn't. <laughs> He's been. actually agreed. I just forgot uh, oh, to talk him. to him. And a bunch of other people have brought him up from Bobby Gorman to somebody else. I mean, he keeps coming up in conversation. And this is like. He retires mm-hmm. from Culture Works September 2nd. Oh, yeah. So get him this on. Sept- okay. Maybe that would be the perfect time to get him. <laughs> That's a good time know, to get him. Right after he retires. He, said, he said he's retiring from Culture Works, but he's not re- retiring from Richmond Arts. And I do know that it's true because the grant that he's helping us follow through on, we won't even know until December if we get. Mm. So he's still going to be involved. It's just going to be in a different way, mm-hmm. and I don't know how. Um, but he has been a strong supporter of me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know the politics of who likes who and who does what or anything like that, but I know that when I asked and said, this is what I need, mm-hmm. he was the face mm-hmm. that I spoke to, and he was the person that was telling me I got the grant. I know there's a whole board that decides, and he's unaffiliated, mm-hmm. but he has been the face of a lot of help that got me this far. And not only that, just since he's been involved in the arts, I feel like in Richmond, the diversity of supported arts Mm -hmm. has really blossomed. Mm -hmm. The people, like the War Project, I don't know if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. that one. Um, There is is a couple who have arts, Art on Wheels, and they take it to nursing homes and things like that and do art therapy. Is it Ward with a D or War War. as in conflict? Uh Yeah. And they built a great big catapult where people could take these little ceramic objects that were representative of things that people that touched their heart in some way or reminded them of war, mm-hmm. wars that they had been in. So these were actual objects from people who, um, like a pack of cigarettes mm-hmm. or things that were comforts or um, scared them or bad or good or whatever, and they were able to take them and catapult them into a wall, mm. um, a clay wall, and then the, the wall stayed wet. And then after all of these people were able to catapult these objects into the wall, you could choose what you want. They were replicas. They dried the wall. And the wall was at the Culture Works Expo. Oh, wow. So they were supporting projects like that where, where people are involved mm-hmm. in 
they help people, they go to nursing homes, they bring art to people, but they also take people who don't necessarily use art. Mm-hmm. And make them part of that process. And make them part of that healing mm-hmm. process. Using and so it gets to be cathartic and and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, healing and, and express, like get, you just get something out of your system. I guess that's what cathartic is. Yeah. But, uh, I, I like that a lot. But supporting things like that. Like yeah. those are the people, those are the kind of people in Richmond that are getting support and Art 180 and things like that. Yeah. They're, they're supporters of the big Richmond Ballet, Latin Ballet, big people who have lots of other supporters. But for people like me who, they are my supporter. They mm-hmm. have been just such a big help. I don't, I don't know how I would have gotten the money to do the little things that got the first person in the door. Mm-hmm. So I think you should have them on your show. <laughs> I definitely will. I, that's, um, and, and it's, I, I've tried to kind of follow a, uh, you know, um, a, a associative kind of thing, like free, a stream of consciousness guesting, you know, if this person occurs to me, this person, because of this person or because of this conversation, then I'll have this person on, you know, so yeah. it's really making itself, you know, happen. insisting. Yeah, it's kind of insisting. <laughs> that, that means that it's happened. right. Yeah, and it's it's very like I mean, being at Fox School, um, when I was doing the after school program there, I got that job totally by accident when I was nineteen because my friend's dad worked for Rec and Parks, and mm-hmm. in the summertime, the federal they got federal money to bring on a whole bunch of uh, seasonal workers because they still had to feed the kids that were getting fed in school during the school year, they had still had to have some place to come get breakfast and lunch. Okay. So they did it on the playgrounds. So you would get trained to do that right. Oh, that's um, cool. And then, and that money made it possible that there was more staff on the playgrounds all summer. So you were there all summer uh, after, you know, you were there for breakfast and lunch, but you also doing all kinds of other stuff. And I liked it and I kept doing it into the school year when you were supposed to stop, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was the last time until I've started doing this, podcast that i was doing something because i i really just felt like kind of called to it you know like you know just get, just doing it to be giving and and like nurturing like i recognize and i think this is a thing you're talking about, i recognize myself and all of these kids you know and the playground was the fucking hardest place to be mm-hmm. when i was a kid you oh, know? Yeah. i was one of those kids that didn't have <laughs> so good on the playground yeah me and, neither yeah. i was shy and took took it <laughs> so to be able to uh, preside over that little Lord of the Flies universe there (laughs) and and sort of intervene when fucked up shit was going on. And I'm only 20 at this point, but I was Mm -hmm. getting to like work out things, you know, say, I'm not going to let that kid get treated like that, but I'm also not going to make a bad guy out of that kid that's treating him that way. You know, this, they're all kids, you Mm -hmm. know? And, um, and I, sometimes I maybe went a little too far with the bad kid, you know, and then I realized, no, this is a kid still. And I have to, but um, He's probably acting out something that's happening, you know, on the other side of his world. That yeah, yeah, and you know that to, to be able to identify and to, you know to to be sensitive to what's going on with people and why they act that way, act the way they do. It's I felt very comfortable with. It. Uh, there's so much. To, oh man, now it's a separate track. Oh well, I'll I'll be able to fix it. Um, there is there's so much to make us uncomfortable. There's so much. It's very hard for people to feel like they you know, fit in because fitting in is part of this whole goddamn cog thing. And, and we all unwittingly play our part in it. And if you fit in, then you're going to be, when you're a kid, you're like, good, you know, and you're not there to like help the other person fit in. That's not fitting in. And I was going to ask you if your whole, you being drawn to the circus thing is kind of about the sort of, this is the freaks, you know, this is the, uh, 
it helps transforming the uh, mm-hmm. we do see that and i notice like even when i go to circus school things the people who play the clowns and the people who do some of the other things people are drawn to what they need mm-hmm. not everybody is an up in the air mm-hmm. kind of circus person mm-hmm. so each person is working out something in the way that they work it out but they're mm-hmm. all can- they're all kinesthetic learners Mm -hmm. they're all people who need to move and express Mm -hmm. in some way physical comedy comedy dell'arte whatever it is that they're learning that helps them emote that part of Mm -hmm. themselves and play and be fun and circus is fun i would say that in my experience that you have to have an uh, you call it kinesthetic you know i think and that's obviously i um accepted term for it but i think it's a part of our education that has gotten separated out that it belongs there that you have to learn things in order for them to really you know be real to you not just abstract intellectual things they have to come with experience they have to be gnostic you have to sort of Mm -hmm. know them in your bones and like doing doing physical things to accompany these lessons is is a better training than having it all abstracted into mm-hmm. lessons and language and all of that. and Using examples that kids don't really understand. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you keep coming. i seeing the thread to this. You know? <laughs> like First you're like, well, yeah, I know I need to get out. I need to physically take an action to get out of this headspace and this fear that I'm in. And so it's going to be to get into theater so I can stand having all these people looking at me. <laughs> and then you're like, but this language shit I'm not into. I don't trust <laughs> all these words, you know. Right. It's just words. Um, mm-hmm. I want to see some action. I want to see this something taking place in three-dimensional space, stuff moving, and that being part of, like, how this has gotten across, you know, crashing, smashing, mm-hmm. colliding. Yeah. It's a – it like, in, see, in retrospect, it's quite the, the uh, well-plotted – story isn't it <laughs> it is and now I, even... <laughs> I don't think that i've ever said the whole thing out loud which is really interesting to hear myself you know telling mm-hmm. how i got i've not been interviewed <laughs> yeah before so mm-hmm. um well i knew i was interested but i had no idea i thought i would you know i, I knew i'd learned a little something about something i know jack shit about yeah. but i had no idea how much it go is gone into your trajectory of doing this and it's the kind of thing i'm always looking for on this yeah. by talking to people um but uh and i uh, it's great when it's a totally <laughs> a surprise too, it's know. interesting that i do have one piece that words even when i pick music i never realized this i pick it without words because i don't want them to tell the story for you mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of the times unless it's a theme party kind of mm-hmm. thing then you know we used ico ico for mardi gras that wasn't mm-hmm. yeah but That's still pretty nonsensical. <laughs> it is pretty nonsensical. <laughs> and nobody ever wants to hear it anymore because they <laughs> practice to it over and over again. But we did do um, with uh, every year they do the vagina monologues mm-hmm. in Richmond, and it's usually to help women of domestic violence and stuff like that. And they asked me, um, they did it in a really interesting way where they had people say a monologue and then they had somebody else doing something. So it wasn't just words. It wasn't just mm-hmm. a person standing there with words. So Some while one action. person was talking, somebody painted a picture mm-hmm. of a woman. Um, the one that I was asked to do was called My, my Vagina is My Village. Mm-hmm. And basically in the monologue, the woman talks about how she's being raped. Um, and to actually put the expression of pulling and pushing and fighting and things into the fabric, mm-hmm. it made the words... So much because it put a person to them, not just the words mm-hmm. of the monologue, which are really um, 
and none of it was blatant Mm -hmm. it wasn't pretending it was happening to you Mm -hmm. it was using the expression to kind of like with the plates emote the person's real life inside Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so being able to to do words justice, I think, is important, too. It's important, I think, for us to realize how arbitrary the words are, that they're not the thing, you know? It's the person. Right, <laughs> yeah. and, and words, they became a thing that we used in order to communicate, but if we get trapped in them, then we've lost the thing they're referring to, mm-hmm. you know? And, and like, whether this is science or faith you're talking about or love or whatever, to have your whole relationship be with the concept instead of the reality, mm-hmm. you know, is, is very, um, it's, again, disconnected. You're, you've, you've, you're cut off from what it's really about. And yet we can say, atom, I know what an atom is. And therefore <laughs> I know what that thing is that you've never fucking seen, you know, <laughs> you know or a quark. Nobody's ever seen a quark. They've no. been labeled, you know, mm-hmm. or even another country, Brazil. It's been named. I now know it, yeah. you know. But... You know, and, it's Brazil, <laughs> right? And and that comes with all these connotations, and you can you can mm-hmm. be satisfied with that, you know. And um, it, I think it's very important every so often to kind of like this is the practice of mindfulness for mm-hmm. me is to not take these things that are so familiar for granted as if they were it, mm-hmm. you know. They're they're just one of the ways, you know. We have to have things that we use as tools like words. But we can't let them imprison us. You know, yeah. we can't let language decide the reality for us. It has to be how we get something across to another person. And you know, the less I'm a real language person, obviously. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking, and I love talking. But yeah. I, have, I have very <laughs> carefully said things that I think are just perfect to somebody in order to get something across, and they take something completely fucking different away from totally it totally out of context you know? didn't mm-hmm. understand exactly what you meant yeah. no I even got mad when i was trying to soothe them and <laughs> you know and and it really um i think it's interesting to you know i've gradually realized that no my my behavior and my actions are, are what i need to really use to communicate you know yeah. that i you know it's talk is cheap and yes you've heard that a, a million times i think i've had a couple mm-hmm. connections to language like i don't not like words i think the truth in words is what i really like knowing the truth mm-hmm. But I had moments with language where, like, even being in a Shakespeare class and really learning how words are made out of the emotion in the vowels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, getting the theater training that the way you say Shakespeare is this because he's feeling this. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. if you really say a word in a certain way, you hear why the word was invented Mm -hmm. almost. It's it's, it's the emotion is in the vowels. Vowels, it's yeah. onomatopoeic relationship kind with of it. Uh-huh. in Shakespeare like and I was crash re- yeah <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. I like bubble <laughs> <But> <laughs> that is a good one and shampoo <laughs> champagne um, so I, fa- I have favorite words and I have words I don't like to hear and um, so I do have it's a not that you don't like words it's that yeah. you don't like being told I really what words. like words you I do. think sometimes you just don't like being yeah. having other people's words yeah, uh, yeah. impressed or insisted I thought it was funny in Romania, um, uh, what we say, you know, when someone in America says, thank you, what Mm -hmm. do you say? You're welcome. What's that mean? Um, Anytime? (laughs) I always take it to mean like, hmm, I mean, it is an arbitrary thing and now put on the spot. Uh, You are, I am gracious, I I gave that to you graciously. Mm -hmm. You you did not even have to thank me. Yeah. You know, um, that's... You were more than, you're welcome to it. Yeah, you're welcome to it. 
That's uh, German-based. Mm. It's Welkommen or whatever. It's the Germanic part of our mm -hmm. language. But people just say it. Mm -hmm. They just say welcome. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Mm -hmm. Welcome. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. They don't really know why they're saying it. It's just a yeah. call and response. Yeah. It's not a, a... When in Romania, when you say thank you, they say cu placere. And what does that mean? With pleasure. <laughs> so that became my most favorite word because they look at you when they say it. They're uh -huh. not like, you're welcome. Good yeah. <laughs> yeah, get out of my face. Yeah. And that was actually a begrudging thing that I just did. <laughs> That's an interesting question you asked there too. What, all the time? Or is, people are always welcome? I mean, do you even mean it? Mm -hmm. are, is someone welcome? You're welcome. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's really... I, I was initially exposed to mindfulness as a... Uh, related to Eastern philosophy, spirituality, like Buddhism, mm -hmm. you know, not taking things for granted, being present to uh, your reality and realizing that your reality is just, you know, it's just a uh, best guess, basically. It's a rough sketch by mm -hmm. your, all your, your senses and your experiences. Yeah, it's just yeah. a story. It's a story mm -hmm. you're making up and you can change that story. But, there, you know, there's a woman on this radio, this podcast I love to listen to called On Being, and she's talking about mindfulness versus mindlessness with nothing to do with that stuff. And she's like, it's not that I don't like that stuff, but I'm talking about something very different. I'm talking about just paying attention to all of these these uh, like modules of meaning that you string together and you don't pay any attention to what any of them mean, you know, like saying you're welcome, you know, like that. You're not so to take the time and, you know, pay, just pay attention to things that you're doing and like. See how much you're allowing these things you take for granted to actually decide your reality, sort of subconsciously. So it's like, like watching yourself. Mm, yeah, I think, outside looking in, just go ahead and do them. But right, and she's not just watch it for a while. Exactly, and she's you know I would I I connected because I you know meditation is like that. You sit down and you just see what you do, you know, and you do that compassionately. You don't do that in, with the you know trying to judge yourself or say no that's wrong or I shouldn't think that or I mm -hmm. whatever. You just say wow look at that. Look at this shit I'm coming up with just sitting here by myself, <laughs> yeah. you know, and to, and to lovingly say, hey, you know, a little bit at a time, like wrapping up your ankle and getting your calf into it and all of that kind of mm -hmm. stuff that a little bit at a time, you can have a little bit more of a pause before you just go with that kind of, you know, take on the situation and then it demands an action and whatnot. You can start to get to know, oh, this is a whole train of reactions that just get going in me. And like mm -hmm. the the bigger space there is before it stops being a complex of behaviors, and right. I can just kind of go, I don't have to act. I don't even have to make this that important, <laughs> you know. And yeah. uh, and so that I mean, and to me, that's the practice of like you know meditating and shit like that. But this woman's just talking about it in a real pragmatic, like scientific way, you know, like just um, to take for granted that this is this way, and not to ask any questions. That's mindless. It's mindless behavior, you know. Hmm. Use your intelligence. Use your attention. Don't don't take for granted all of these things you've been told, and that you and then you say yes, that's how it is, you know. Mm -hmm. Investigate for yourself, you know. Pay attention. Get into it. Find out. Make a mess. Fuck up at full speed. She didn't say that, but <laughs> I love that expression. I like it. <laughs> and and really to recognize that getting good at something about is all about fucking up at it. You know, and you're not officially <laughs> a sparrow in my program until we've saved you with the scaffolding. One good <laughs> <time>. <laughs> That's when you're official. It sounds like it should have a poetic thing, like until you've broken a wing. But then that <laughs> might actually 
be, you know. We kind of have a little poetic thing, <laughs> and I think I'm still working on the wording, but people ask how I come up with a name. And the host of sparrows, a host is a is a, the official name of the bird grouping. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. host, like a flock of seagulls or a murder of crows. Uh-huh. And I had bird imagery in my mind, and I just started looking, and I found this book of bird groupings. And um, I picked a couple that I liked, but the sparrow I kept coming back to over and over again. And I'm not sure why I liked it so much, but I knew I was going to be hosting a teacher, so the idea of hosting. and mm-hmm. So it had a lot of level language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do have some language. Um, and welcome it, and host. It's, uh, it, ha- it had a lot, a lot. It hit me the right way. But now um, that I have a troop called A Host of Sparrows, um, we use the name. I'm Heather Sparrow. We've kind of put mm-hmm. that out there, mm-hmm. Doug Sparrow. Uh, we're 28 to 51 years old. So our group, we're not just people who have done this since we were two. We're mm-hmm. not contortionists. We're not Cirque du Soleil. Mm-hmm. We are people who are finding something in it for ourselves mm-hmm. as adults. Um, so I always say the sparrow is a common bird, but when given the chance, we can all fly beautifully, given the right environment. Mm-hmm. And um, what's wrong with common? You know? Exactly. My troop of 10, uh, one is she works at Sephora. She's a makeup girl at Sephora. I am a waitress and an aerial teacher. Um, Doug, he works in the School of Social Work and is a rock climber. Mm-hmm. Um, the city, uh, we have a city archaeologist, uh, professor at U of R. Oh, wow. Is um, he the guy that went tried to go in the train tunnel? Uh, <laughs> no, the professor at U of R is Kristen, Dr. Kristen Bizzio. Okay. She is a... Um, oh, it's a woman. Okay. Yes. She's a... Look at that mind, mindless she's jump a, I made. That it was, she's a teacher. The doctor was a man. That's so fucking awful. She, she, writes, she writes... I tell her she's so much smarter than me in so many ways because I, I see her things come down the Facebook and she just did something about XCOM... She does like mm-hmm. women in gaming mm-hmm. and writes lots of dissertations. Mm-hmm. And things. she does a lot of writing. Being There's a something professor. on Facebook about that today. Did you? Sh- probably her. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I'm her. friends with her. Maybe a friend of a friend. You know, but that what you're talking about makes me think. So this group of people working towards a common goal, but also an, an individual goal. Um, we support each other, but we're all very, very different. Uh-huh. And we are the people that you pass walking down the street every mm-hmm. day. The Buddhists call that. A sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A, and that's people meditating together. And you're not interacting technically when you're all sitting in this room meditating together, but the shared um, quest, you know, the shared practice and all of that, it makes their, uh, it lends its um, energy, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and it's a, it is a, a thing I've felt before, to just to be in the same room with other people that are, have the same intention you know. I think that's why everybody mm-hmm. keeps showing up every mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. It's it's become a community of people who are supportive, who can mess up in front of each other. Mm-hmm. They have different stories, so we're all interesting. Um, they have different skills to offer as a group. You know, some of them work on the rigging, some do makeup, some help with costumes, some mm-hmm. help with, you know, f- getting the donation box together and popping popcorn and mm-hmm. just the diversity of the group makes it that more special. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not a whole bunch of the same kind of people. Mm-hmm. And the host of sparrows is just it means more and more to me the more i see mm-hmm. what it's becoming that's awesome yeah so when's the next uh, performance did you already say that well um spiral art show is a local art show they used to do it alley cats every year mm-hmm. this is spiral 10 
they took a break from it after Alley Cats closed down. But it's a collaboration of different artists, fine artists, um, musicians, performing artists, spoken word, that they do every year to raise money for something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the money this year goes to Dogtown Dance Theater as a 501c3, but they did hold it in our space last year as well. And our dance company tries to perform in these events. Mm-hmm. So we are going to be doing something for that. When is it? Um, 26th and 27th uh, at Dogtown Dance Theater, September. September. Okay. And tickets are $20 if you want to come. Our big event, we, w- we do a big event every year, which I call my student recital. So all the new sparrows get to show off and, and do something new. Instead of a student recital for my classes, if you've been in there for a year, you get to you have the option if you want to perform to make a show. So we work on a show and do it for Mardi Gras. And this year, it's um, the two shows are on February 14th and February 17th. Early Mardi Gras. Huh? Mm-hmm. It's an early Mardi Gras, and it's also one show is on Valentine's Day. So we're gonna have a love theme to it. And so, bondage. Well, I'm working on a solo piece. I haven't done mm-hmm. a solo piece in a long time. I put so much effort into teaching and mm-hmm. doing group choreography and stuff that I'm going to take a step back and do a little creative moment for myself. Um, to Screaming Jay Hawkins, I Put a Spell on You. Ah. And then we have three new sparrows who are bumping up and one that performed in the last show that was it has been in the program two years. And usually after they do the show, they have the option of start, depending on how they do, to start performing with the group. So that's how we got up to 10 in like a couple of years. Wow. But, um, so they'll be put four. a spell on you. That is a, that Screaming Jay Hawkins version of that is crazy. Like he does all, he goes kind of nuts in that. Oh yeah. Song. <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. I'm picturing, and maybe we should, probably should wrap this up. You got to be somewhere, right? Um, the idea of you using some of these natural uh, scaffoldings like the train trestles and things like that mm-hmm. in Richmond to do this stuff you know there are some things in a but again it takes money and yeah you have to have an engineer be... come out and check the stability right. of the structure there's little underlying things that um, there's also things some things are against the law if right. I hang on the trestle and they get me I'm gonna have a federal right. fine All right so you have to have permission or go through the right people, like the parks people, depending yeah. on what you're hanging on and stuff. And I have a pretty good, I had a pretty good rapport with um, Ralph White mm-hmm. of the parks mm-hmm. right before he retired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but um, they want us to do some performances down on Sugar Pad. Where's that? Through the park system. It's down near Rockets Landing. It's the big slab where people fish. Oh, yeah. They want to start um, huh. really promoting That's called that Sugar as a, Pad, huh? the Sugar Pad as a community space. So they've asked, invited us to come and do something for one of their full moon things mm-hmm. that they're doing down there to bring awareness and keep it public space. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. So Too much of this damn river is private space. Too yeah. much of the bank. So it's owning it's a, what you have mm-hmm. as, as a community. Yeah. So we, we wanna, we're working on doing a show down there, but we have to go through parks people. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They can be very like, if they don't know the answer, they just say no. Yeah. And, There's uh, a lot of people who say no when you say you're 20 feet in the air, too. They're like, oh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just can't. It seems like a good spot would be underneath... Uh, you know, on Bell Island, right under the bridge there, oh, like yeah. there's a lot of really cool pillars. With the rust-covered fabric and the sounds of the original um, thing that was there. Yeah. Ooh, that scaffold. The scaffolding um, of the I've old. Already. Oh yeah, you thought of this. Huh? <laughs> I want it to be a film project before it's an actual come out and see it. So mm-hmm. maybe we can do it 
maybe I can advertise it on a podcast uh, yeah. and then do it on the DL. <laughs> but we're working on it. Yeah, that's very cool. I uh, love that. Ralph online. White was completely on board, but I haven't met the new person over there. And I really want to have a grant together before I go ringing bells and telling mm-hmm. them what I can't. You know, as soon as you start hanging on things, they start telling you you can't. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I want to have things in order so that I can do it once before mm-hmm. they say no yeah. the right yeah. way. Good strategy. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for uh, coming over here. This was really awesome. Thank you for asking me to come over. Yeah. Wow. I got I blabbed away. <laughs> I, I, that was that's really ideal. <laughs> Tell, trust me. And the less I blab, the better. All right. Well, I hope, look forward to seeing your performance soon. All right. Thank. Oh my God! So delightful. What a wonderful time. I mean, she's awesome. She's good people. I always liked Heather Bailey, but. I had no idea, you know, I guess I had some idea, but not, you know, anyway, I hope you enjoyed hearing from her as much as I did, and uh, hey, it's great to hear, Uh, you know, somebody went out of their way not that long ago to text me while I was driving around doing my job, telling me to enjoy this thing, so, you know, I really appreciate that, because, uh, I mean, I make it a practice, a thing I do just for you and just for y'all. And, um, you know, it is is little about me and getting those kinds of responses as I can make it. But it's still good to know that it ain't going into the void and that you guys are listening out there and you dig it. And, um, hey, I, could o- I always would appreciate... You know, stopping by the Tantric Conversation website and visiting the donate page and putting some money towards this whole thing. Um, and what else? Uh, you can stop and make comment, leave comments and stuff. But you know, as I say this, I realize that all the podcasts I listen to, I never fucking go to the Nerdist website. I don't go to Mark Maron's website. I don't go to Krista Tippett's website i don't believe i've ever given any of them any money either so maybe i need to start giving fucking mark maron some money so he's doing a lot better than me he has sponsors and stuff hey if you guys want to sponsor this podcast you can sponsor upcoming episodes or we can go back and i can put you in front of of any episode that you really dug because people are still going back and listening to these and they are all available on itunes tantric conversation itunes you can subscribe to it and will automatically download onto your smart device or whatever you use to dig on this so yeah get involved let me share it with me a little bit you know i like to i like to hear that this stuff is um being dug so because uh, you know i'm so lonely it's just me and the cat here nala nala and me i'm a cat boy your cat lady, cat man, cat man do, we're going to cat man do. I really, really want to do poo poo, poo poo platter. <laughs>